uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of a finny snake in a cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blindworm sting, lizard leg and howl its wing for a charm of powerful trouble. Like a hell broth boiling bubble. <laughs> Welcome to the Planet Eight Halloween Podcast. <laughs> you are invited to join the Banshees, the Werewolves, the Vampires, the Gooks. Who are all coming to our Halloween convention of spooks. You'll enjoy this lively group if your blood doesn't end up in the soup. Practice your screams. Break out your shrouds. Tighten your nerves. And join the crowds at our convention of spooks. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. On this episode, we are going to be discussing some of our favorite Halloween-themed television series um, from the past or the present. And I'm going to kick it off. Uh, We're all big Star Trek fans here on Planet 8. I decided to take a second look at, or another look at, the Cat's Paw episode from Star Trek, the original series. Now, this was a second season um, episode And it was funny, I've watched Star Trek for the better part of 40 years of my life. I never realized that Robert Block wrote this episode. Robert Block of Psycho fame. And it just, it blew my mind. Um, We kind of touched on this episode in another um, podcast. I uh, remember talking about the witches with you, Bob, and, and Karen. And yeah, I was that just going to tell that story mm-hmm. again, but, you know. Uh, hey, for, for those who haven't heard that episode, we could get into it. All right. This, it's interesting because this episode was actually written as a Halloween episode of Star Trek. And so uh, Walter Koenig is in this episode as Chekhov. But it's interesting because... This was broadcast after several other episodes 
that featured uh, Pavel Chekhov. So this episode was actually the first time they filmed Chekhov in a Star Trek episode. But it was six or seven episodes later so that they could air it closer to Halloween. So I guess he's lucky they didn't write this for the animated series. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. The um, one of the things that really caught my attention was his wig. I mean, this thing could have been a monster in and of itself. Uh, it is so poofy and just—I I don't know. It, it was—it was very distracting for me. But just a real quick uh, well, recap. Just th- aside, you know why his hair was like that, right? Yeah. For uh, um, Davy Jones, the teens watching. Because right. of the time, right. you know, before he was on Star Trek, the one person getting the most mail at the network was Davy Jones of the Monkeys. <laughs> so they added Chekhov, and they didn't want to make him like British or whatever, so they made him Russian, but they still gave him the beetle wig or monkey wig. And uh, yeah, out of all the hairstyles on Star Trek, I think his probably holds up least best. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it's very detracting. And you, you know, it, it's so obvious that it's a wig. Later episodes, you know, they kind of, worked it out a little better but it down a little bit yeah definitely um so real quickly uh the uh intrepid crew of the enterprise uh goes to this planet and um uh, pyrus seven is the planet if i remember correctly if i'm reading correctly too (laughs) but anyway um they beam down to the planet because some of the crewmen have gone missing uh, one of the uh, crew, of course, red shirt beams back up to the ship, and it's it's just it's like a mannequin. The person is is not there. Um, they go down to the planet. Uh, they meet these aliens, and um, this is one of the first Star Trek episodes where, spoiler alert, fifty plus year old TV show. If you haven't seen the episode yet, <coughs> excuse me. The uh, aliens are actually little, they look like little Cthulhu's. Um, and, and you can tell that they're kind of like string puppets. But um, the aliens in Star Trek were usually Romulans, Klingons. You had the suit um, aliens like the Gorn or the Magato. Um, but these things were otherworldly. And uh, except for the animated series, we never really saw aliens that did not look human in some mm-hmm. way shape or form so that was noteworthy to me that's a good point larry because on one hand you can kind of say well they're you know kind of goofy little puppet things but it, it was kind of creepy because they were just these weird little creatures um f- kind of flopping around because they were dying and everything but um yeah they were distinctly non-humanoid and obviously you know, very, very different from anything we had seen before. And, uh, you know, kind of creepy, like, oh, wait, these weird little things were manipulating this entire, uh, like everyone's perceptions of what was going on. Exactly. It, was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And the language, too, you know, when they were speaking, they, you know, they disintegrated at the end of the, the episode, unfortunately, once they revealed themselves. But it was this weird, like, otherworldly kind of, like, chirping or a mix of a chirp and a cackle and it was just kind of you know i can't even imitate it i would if i could 
Um, but look, it, it was a Halloween episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Bob, why don't you share that uh, witch uh, story with us one more time? There were witches well, when they I mean, beamed the epi- down. The episode's really creepy. But no, yeah, when they initially go down to the planet, you've got the three witches there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, go back, go back. <laughs> and they knew them and by when, name. And, you know, when it, when Star Trek was originally on, and, I, you know, you said this was like second season. So I had been watching it, you know, since the beginning. Right. I was like six or seven or something. And that scene came on and just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and from then on, it was lost in space all the way. <laughs> until, until Star Trek, you know, came back in syndication or whatever. And then I started watching. But yeah, I just like cold turkey, no Star Trek. Screw that. Yeah, yeah. Now, now it, interestingly enough, like I said, I, I can't talk uh, enough about Robert Block having written this episode. He also wrote another episode titled what are little girls made of now originally and karen and i have talked about this before i thought it was the regic episode wolf in the fold Mm. where the guy gets possessed i thought it was that unless (coughs) excuse me unless wiki has failed me uh which (laughs) which it often does (laughs) but they did mention the old ones and that is a reference to uh oh my god my mind is a blank, um, not Orwell. Oh, uh, Cthulhu. Uh, Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Oh, my God. I can't believe I, I brain farted so badly. Uh, thank you, Walker. Yes, it mentioned the old ones in both episodes. And so that added just like another little layer to the creepiness of the overall story. Um, this episode also had a black cat. Um McCoy mentions hobgoblins, and he's not referring to Spock at that point, uh, which he does often in the series. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of references to some of the uh, things that we associate uh, closely to our Halloween festivities uh, on your planet Earth. Planet 8, of course, we celebrate Halloween 365 days a year, but... Um, <laughs> Well, they also had the Enterprise encased in glass or whatever uh, that was supposed to be. Yeah. And if if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure maybe it was a Federation trading post or somebody back then offered like the Enterprise in glass. Uh, like, yeah. That episode, yeah. Man. I think, if I, I think it was Lincoln Enterprise. I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Rod- Roddenberry's outfit. I but wish I know, had that. Larry, I was going to say, Robert, I'm pretty sure Robert Block did write Wolf in the Fold. As a matter of fact, I just pulled it up on my mini interocitor, and uh, it uh, it does say that he wrote it. Well, so. I, I am going to put on wiki, fail, little girl, because that didn't make any sense to me. You know, there's there's like a whole library worth of books written on Star Trek and what are scholarly things? journal and things, and, and you're looking at wiki? What are these things called books, books. Bob? They've got, like, type on paper pages. (laughs) Well, I will send a nasty gram to the people at Wiki. Thank you very much, Karen, for uh, correctly identifying. And that makes a lot more sense. Well, it's what I do there. You do it so well. Um, Karen does utilize those things you call books, uh, Bob. Um, Hey, Wolf in the Fold was another. It wasn't really um, Halloween-ish. Um, in the way that it presented itself, but it was a Jack the Ripper episode 
Kill, kill, kill you all. Yeah. <laughs> die horribly. Die, <laughs> die, make you suffer. Um, God, I can't think of the name of the actor, but he was so great. They uh, they juice him up with some kind of uh, tranquilizer at the end. Oh, uh, John Fiedler. Yes. And he's just like, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> die, die. Well, yeah, they had to drug him up to keep the alien or whatever inside uh, yeah. him. And yeah, not, you know, trapped inside Rajak, him. Rajak, Rajak, Because he was in, like, inside everybody. It was initially McCoy, right? That was uh, Scotty. Scotty. Scotty, that's right. That it was uh, Mr. Scott, and they're like, did you kill her? I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I tell you, Captain, I don't know what happened. <laughs> That's uh, right, because he was down like in a brothel or something. Right? <laughs> Their version of it, yeah. Uh, Pleasure I don't, planet. Yeah, I don't think she was green, but she was belly dancing with the best of them. Um, anyway, a- another great episode if you guys get a chance to uh, to watch. Let's kick it up now, to the... Before you go on, I yes, mean, sir? you were saying you were covering Star Trek for Halloween now... Were there any other Star Trek episodes like Next Generation or whatever that did a Halloween episode? Or Well, that's a good question, Bob. Not really. Uh, Cat's Paw was the only episode that was really Halloween. Halloween, right? With witches and hobgoblins and the cats and stuff. The Wolf in the Fold. You know, Jack the Ripper could kind of be Halloween-ish. Um, the way that it presented itself at the end when the alien was jumping around trying to kill people in that right. creepy voice. There were some Next Generation episodes where, um, I can't think of the name of the uh, episode, but this um, this this woman beams or appears at this planet, and this planet made a deal with this deity uh, oh, a thousand years ago, and and she's like, the well, devil I'm one. the devil one, right? And she appears as like the the human or earth version of the devil there's the klingon version of the mm-hmm. devil and um visually it was very cool to watch that and it turns out that she was just a charlatan and and picard was able to to uh, um shed light on on the the parlor tricks that she was uh, using on these uh aliens on this planet um i don't know karen can you think of another I mean, there there have been next generation episodes where they get possessed by aliens, but they were they had nefarious ideas on taking over the ship. It wasn't necessarily a. Ooh. Well, I mean, you would think yeah. the Star Trek would kind of lend itself to Halloween episodes, but yeah, they didn't really. Um, you know, it was always it was always. Um, boldly going where no one had gone before and they never you know look they went to nazi planets they went to uh uh planets that were underwater but they never visited a, a halloween planet per they se just i think did not boldly go to halloween yeah you know uh, you know there was always it was much more especially next generation was much more scientifically oriented but i think there yeah. were a couple of episodes that were horror tinged and of course i can't think of the names of the episodes right now because i only memorized classic trek episode (laughs) names well of course but but there were two episodes that come to mind that had sort of horror connotations one was where um aliens were abducting people off of the enterprise and and experimenting on them Cutting them in and, pieces and reattaching the pieces. Yes, and, yes, like they cut off Riker's arm and reattached yeah. it. And they were the crew was kind of figuring out this was happening. Kind of like an and alien it was like, abduction like thing. A, 
Go ahead. Right? What? It was kind of like an alien abduction thing. Yes, it was like a, a classic alien abduction thing, and they right. were playing it out in Next Gen. And then the other one I can think of is when they somehow, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but there was some sort of, um, I don't know if it was a virus or some sort of weird uh de-evolution thing that was going on with the crew and it it really didn't make a lot of sense because some people devolved into like spider creatures some people devolved into ape-like creatures some like uh i think deanna sort of like turned into a fish creature or something (laughs) do you remember this at all larry i I remember (laughs) i for some reason, I'd put it out of my head, but now I know why. Deanna becoming the fish creature kind of brought it back, though. Like she was laying in her bathtub and yeah, she kept Yeah, she had getting, gills. Yeah, it was very, very weird. Um, was it Mark, Worf? Markley, was? Worf turned into like this like big monstrous thing and was yeah. pounding down the doors trying to get to people. Uh-huh, and I think uh-huh. he was going to eat Picard or something. <laughs> so I remember that. that. Yeah. That's about all I can think of from, from you know, Next I'm, Gen. They didn't go to that well very often. Yeah, and I Deep Space Nine, uh, they kind of went in a different direction. And I know after, what, the third season, Walker, the war broke out. And so there was a lot of, <laughs> uh, it, it was more like the great escape. They had some of those stories where, you know, you're a prisoner of war. and But they did have the metaphysical aspect where you had, like, the paw wraiths and... Um, Oh, All yeah. that stuff from that, the Bajoran religion. That's true. That's true. So there were like some possession stories uh, yeah. with involving the paw race and stuff, but it wasn't too spooky. Um, and I can't really speak to uh, Voyager or uh, what was it, Enterprise? Nope. Me neither. Yeah. So. And Discovery was just a short season. You know, that's the thing these days is hard to do. Halloween episodes and Christmas episodes of things because series keep, you know, it's like either you binge through something all at once or, you know, they're on and then they're off for two months and then they come back on again and, you know, you never know when they're on. You know, the other thing too is there's so much content out there now that you have Netflix and CBS All Access has, you know, all the classic Twilight Zone episodes, but now they have the new Twilight Zone episodes. Shudder has creep show uh and yes the wife and i broke down and we're paying 5.99 to shutter now so we can watch creep show um but amazon and hulu and now disney's coming out with their disney plus so there's so much creepy movie and, and well i mean the landscape of tv is totally changing although netflix had uh, sabrina the new sabrina well, and they actually did a halloween special Within in between, Sabrina. In between the two series, yeah. Oh, well. It was like season one, season two, and then in between they had a Halloween uh, special. There you go. Um, but, I mean, you know, Teenage Witch, I mean, that kind of like lends itself to Halloween, so. Right, right. There was, um, God, I don't know if you watched it, Karen, a series on Netflix, Haunted House. Bob, you and I were talking about it. Lieutenant Debbie loved it. Um, it was a ghost story mm-hmm. and that. The Haunting of Hill House. The Haunting of Hill House. I don't know if we've mentioned that because we've done so many podcasts over the last year and a half. But if you guys have not seen The Haunting of Hill House, go binge through it right now. I want to say we talked about it in like the year-end wrap wrap? episode because 
I remember saying that it's a really hard series. You have to binge through it straight. Right. Because uh, if you don't, if you watch like, because we were watching like an episode or two each week, and uh, it, you just lose track of the characters and who's who because they're bouncing back and forth from when they were kids to adults right. and in between. And you have to keep that all straight. So if you don't binge straight through it, each time you go back to look at it, you have to remember, okay, this is this person, that's that person, and this guy's storyline is this, and that guy. Because there's like so many storylines between the characters as well. It, and it, it, it sounds confusing and convoluted, but it was so masterfully right. If you watch the yeah. whole thing, it, it one of the best scary series uh, that I've seen in a long time. I, I cannot... Give it enough. And there were some good jumps too. I don't jump that much anymore <laughs> at movies or TV shows, but they had some good jumps in that thing. Oh yeah, I agree. My wife jumped out of her skin in, in one scene, and it made me jump uh, as well because she like, I mean, she screamed like bloody murder. But um, let's kick it up to the satellite because I'm sure Karen has something uh, to share with us with regards to Halloween episodes. Karen, Halloween take it away. Halloween episodes. Well. When I think of Halloween episodes, the first thing that came to my mind was the many um, Treehouse of Horror episodes that The Simpsons have done over the oh, years. Oh, yes. Ah, very good. Do you guys want to venture how many Treehouse of Horror I, I'm shows gonna say there have, have been? 20, I'll do something odd, 21? Yeah, I was going to say The Simpsons have been on for, for a long time. Yeah, I don't remember what season they started the Treehouse of Horror. I don't think they did one the first season, but... No. I'm going to say 21. Okay. Say, I, uh, Larry, do you have a guess? Um, I'll say 17. Well, Bob is closer. They have done 29 now since Ooh, 1999. Whoa. How many seasons has they been on? So I don't know how many seasons the no. show has yeah, been yeah, on. No, but they've they, been on for, they, they, they were started, like one of the first Fox series when Fox right. first became a network. Spun off since, from Tracy so. Ullman. Well, yeah. They did. They started the um, Treehouse of Horror in 1990, wow. and they've done 29 now. Um, and you know, I mean, and you're going to cover everyone. <laughs> I am not going to cover everyone. I was like, what am I going to do? So I, there were certain ones that I still, and I have to admit, I have not watched Simpsons regularly in a very long time. Um, but there were certain episodes, there were certain segments that stood out in my head. So I went back and tried to figure out, well, which Treehouse of Horrors were those? And I think there was a certain sweet spot for these, or at least in my, you know, my personal opinion, um, around, you know, the early 90s, mid 90s, um, the uh, Treehouse of Horror, I, I would say, Number five, six, and seven are all really, really good. I, I really focused on number five, but there were some great segments in some of the other ones, too. Number five is really great, I think, because... Well, before I, I jump into that, if people haven't seen these, which is kind of hard to believe, but some people might not have seen them, uh, one of the things that they did in these is they always kind of... Um, they did a lot of homages to uh, old films, old TV shows, so a lot of times they would... Um, they would, uh, you know, pay pay homage to like the Twilight Zone or Night Gallery or um, certain movies. 
you know, King Kong. They would do classic movies like King Kong or Frankenstein or um, The Fly, things like that, or current, more current movies. Yeah, I was going to say, they, I, uh, I seem to remember a lot of Twilight Zone. Yes, they did a lot of Twilight Zone. Um, at least in the early years, they they covered a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. So um, the the one that I really is like my favorite um, is basically um, Treehouse of Horror um, Five or V for those people out there who know their <laughs> Roman numerals. Um, that one has uh, it starts with a takeoff of The Shining called The Shining, which. Um, it actually opens with a, a uh, takeoff of the Outer Limits control voice with Bart as the control voice hmm. and then moves into this this version of The Shining where um, uh, the Simpsons go up to take over this, uh, uh, you know, lodge, uh, which is actually run by Mr. Burns. And then he leaves them there and he's like, well, they'll be more productive if there's no television and no alcohol. <laughs> um, and, of course, that drives – uh, Homer nuts, so he's in like the Jack Nicholson role, and uh, you know the the ghosts tell him, you know, Mo is the ghost bartender and tells him to kill his family, and and uh, groundskeeper Willie is like in the Scatman Crothers role, and he has the telepathic powers, but instead of the shining, it's the shinning because they don't want to get sued, <laughs> so he tells Bart, you know, oh, you have the shinning. And uh, he tells him to use his shinning power if his dad goes crazy. <laughs> and I don't know. The whole thing is just really hilarious because they really do a, a pretty um, spot on version of the film um, with, you know, Homer on the rampage. It's pretty good. Um, and then the next one is actually, I think, even better because uh, that's the one I think a lot of people know this one where Homer turns a toaster into a time machine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he goes back into like prehistoric time and he accidentally, he, he's trying to fix a toaster and he turns it into a time machine. Then he winds up going back into prehistoric time and he kills a mosquito. And then because he does that, he alters time and he winds up going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, at one point Flanders is running the world. So he tries to go back <laughs> again into time. And then, you know, everybody is giant, so he goes back in time again. And he just keeps doing this back and forth because everything's screwed up every time he jumps back and forth. And and then uh, <laughs> he he goes back to, to prehistoric time again, and he sneezes on a dinosaur, and he kills all the dinosaurs. And he's like, oh, no, this is really going to cost me. And he goes back to his present time, and, like, his house has been turned into this huge mansion. And all, everybody's dressed well. The kids are well-behaved. And, and everything, it's like his, sis, his sisters-in-law are dead. And he's like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And then he says to Marge, you know, Marge, you know, uh, can I have a donut? And she's like, what's donuts? And he's like, ah! And he <laughs> sends himself back in time. And then you, Marge looks out the window, and all these donuts are falling from the sky. And she's like, oh, it's raining again. But, you know, Homer is left like his perfect world. And then um, finally, you know, after more jumps back and forth, he he gets back to what looks like his normal reality. And then everybody, when they go to eat, they stick these long tongues out <laughs> to get the food off their plate. And he's just like, eh, OK, and stays there. Close enough. Yeah. And then the last one um, 
is is the nightmare cafeteria where it turns out that the um, principal Skinner has decided uh, they have so many students in detention that he's going to uh, actually turn them into uh, cafeteria food. <laughs> 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 he, he winds up, you know, cooking them different ways. And the, you see, like, the the teachers all getting fatter and the kids are all freaking out and they're getting, you know, fewer and fewer of them. And um, it's a, that one's a pretty good skit. It doesn't have a great ending. But that's, that, that, that's I actually that not one, a bad idea, really. Yeah, it starts out. <laughs> well, and then the best part is when they get the little German kid, Uter, and after they after they kill Uter, they have Oktoberfest, and they serve Uterbraten. And, and Lisa's like, "Don't you think it's odd that we're eating something called Uterbraten the day after Uter disappears?" So that was that was a really good one. But that, some of the other ones they had the years like just before and just after they had like a version of King Kong where Homer is King Kong. They had. Um, uh, they did a takeoff on the great uh, Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, where they have oh. Bart as the William Shatner character, but he's in his school bus, and the gremlin attacks the school <laughs> bus, and he he's like trying to convince everybody, and he's like attacking the the gremlin, and then at the end, Flanders adopts the gremlin. So. Oh God. Yeah, they, they should actually do like a box set of just all the Treehouse of Horror episodes. I wonder if there is one, you know, I'll have Not to look it up. And if there is, I can put it on the one uh, that I remember that I really liked was uh, it was a takeoff on the Talking Tina Twilight Zone episode. Except oh it was God. a Krusty the Clown doll. <laughs> I never saw and that. At the very end, you know, it's like Homer takes the doll back to where he got it. And the guy lifts up the shirt and goes, oh, you had this one set to evil. And there's like oh, this yeah. little, little <laughs> toggle switch on the back between good and evil. Like, oh, I remember that evil. one. That was a good one too. Um, oh, and there was a really good one where, um, a, a bit again based on a Twilight Zone episode, the one where the little girl walks through the wall into the other dimension. Um, only this time they used computer animation, so Homer walks through the wall and he goes into the third dimension. And he, it's like, oh, everything's round. And, you know, he sees cones and all these other things. And it was a, like an early use of computer yeah. animation. On I, I vividly remember that because I know they were ma- in commercials leading up to that episode. They were making a big thing about Homer mm-hmm. coming into the real world and all that. Yeah, that one was really good, too. Um, so, yeah, they just, you know, going back, you can go on YouTube. You can yeah, the, the video quality is hit or miss, but you can see these episodes and they're a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I watched I stopped watching The Simpsons a long time ago, but every once in a while I'll tune in for a Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. I mean, you know, The Simpsons was a, a lot of fun. I mean, I again, like just like you, I, I stopped watching it after a while. But uh, you go back and watch some of these early shows, whether it was. Treehouse of Horror. Not the, the early stuff is still really clever. I have to check that out. I remember the Homer traveling in time. The sound that the Tosh would make. At <laughs> <laughs> one point, <laughs> things were so screwed up. Yeah, God, I, I was looking while you, uh, you were uh, getting into some of the episodes to see if they had a box set. Um, I couldn't find one, but man, that, that twenty over twenty some odd episodes. I mean, you can yeah. get a pretty good box set out of that now. Yeah, twenty nine episodes. That's more than most series. And binge the heck out of that. Yeah, no kidding. I wonder if it's on Netflix. Anyway, I digress. Yes. 
Well, that's cool, Walker. Uh, I'm going to actively look for some of those episodes. I didn't know they did the Talking Tina one. That sounds <laughs> with Krusty. Yeah, was, in fact, I'm pretty sure they made a toy. Uh, they made a Krusty doll, and on the back it had the switch for good and evil. <laughs> <laughs> so. Very creative. They, they have a good creative staff on, on The Simpsons. So one of the cool things with those episodes, like you alluded to, Karen, where Homer would play the King Kong part, they, they would use the actors, or I mean the characters, to take on whatever role the actors had in that film or that homage that they were mm-hmm. running. Um, you know, so someone could be a Dracula character. I remember there was a Bram Stoker. A take yeah, on Bram that was another Dracula. one that was really good. Yeah, yeah it wasn't, wasn't like Mr. Burns, like the older <laughs> Dracula. He, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was the Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to have to te- take a look at that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, it's, I wonder if they're streaming somewhere, too. We should take a look at that. Didn't They, they did one... Also, where Bart played the Billy Moomy role, sending people to the cornfield and all. Oh that. yeah, and Homer that. at the end, he, Homer becomes like the Jack in the Box. Oh, <laughs> funny. Yeah. So. yeah, they did a lot of Twilight Zone for, uh, episodes. That's cool. I have to check it out. Um, all right. Well, we're gonna kick it over to our chief here. You know, he's been around longer than me and Karen, so he has a lot more uh, <laughs> Halloweeny episodes to. <laughs> Good God. I, I just, I just. Um, you know, I kept thinking about different Halloween episodes of stuff, and all this stuff just kept jumping in my head, and it's like, man, how do I narrow it down to one or two or whatever? So I kind of made a list, and we can kind of, I'll throw these out, and we can kind of talk a little bit about them. Some I actually watched in the last couple of days, so they're fresh in my mind. Some mm. are just, you know, vague memories. But I'm sure you guys heard about the Halloween episode of Route 66. Yes. Yes. It's called Lizard Leg and Owlet's Wing. Yes. And it featured Boris Karloff, Long Cheney Jr., and Peter Lorre. Did you hear that one, uh, Walker? You know, I've seen bits of it on like YouTube. I don't think I've ever seen yeah. the whole thing. They kind of get together to kind of discuss whether or not their makeup from back in the day would scare people today right. or right. actually, you know, back in 62 when Route 66 came out. I mean, figure their movies were only what twenty years old, maybe at that at point. that point. But, um, but yeah, so that definitely is a classic. Halloween it was episode. the last time that Boris Karloff wore the Frankenstein makeup that Jack Pierce had made for the original right. uh, one uh, Frankenstein one, two, and three. Well, Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, yeah. etc. Peter so Lorre, was, I guess, appeared because what Bella wasn't available. Or, <laughs> I think they just got whoever, yeah, whoever was available at the time. You know. uh, yeah, it was a no, fun Peter. episode. I forgot about that, and I have yeah. the DVD at home. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, so we should. I don't know. Maybe if it's on YouTube, we should link it. Yeah, we could take a people, look and that, see. You know, out of all the Halloween episodes, that would probably be, you know, the most classic because right. of the three actors. Definitely. Um, we covered Cat's Paw. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel actually had Halloween episodes. Um, Angel had one. Buffy had three. Wow. And the one that I vividly remember is they get into this haunted house. You know, they're having a a Halloween party and they go in this haunted house. And there's this fear demon that makes all their fears come to life. Mm. And uh, at the end, 
they have this big hole in the floor and the fear demons rising from the hole. And it turns out he's like six, six inches tall. <laughs> and uh, they look in the book, you know, that they looked him up in. And they, they didn't read underneath the picture. It said actual size. <laughs> so Buffy just like steps on him and that's the end. <laughs> end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was just this little six inch guy. I am the fear demon. <laughs> but, um, but that was good. Yeah, and, you know, the angel one. I hadn't watched Angel in a long time, so I watched this the other night. And uh, it was actually Lorne, who was the uh, the demon of the... This was kind of fifth season, I think, when Angel took over Wolfram and Hart, the law firm. So he's more like a corporate guy instead of just a paranormal detective guy. And uh, so the the whole corporation has a Halloween party every year. So... Lauren, the demon, he takes it on himself to organize this thing. And uh, in order to get the work done, he goes to Wolfram and Hart, and they, relieve, they remove his sleep so he doesn't have to sleep. So he can just keep going 24-7 organizing this party. Well, being that he's a, an empathic demon, when they don't have sleep, their thoughts actually materialize. So they can actually, like, cause people to do things instead of reading their mind they're writing to their mind mm. and so you know he'll there's this one uh assistant charles gunn who was on there and you know lauren tells him you know he's he's trying to be like you know a big lawyer type and lauren's like yeah you gotta you know assert yourself mark your territory blah 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 and so throughout the whole party he's going around peeing in bushes <laughs> and in corners and on angel's chair and whatever you know and then uh yeah and then he's like he walks by and Angel's talking to one of the corporate heads, you know, this one female. And Lauren's like, look at you two. Look, sexual tension. Go get a room. So they go back to his office and they're making out like rabbits. And, you know, <laughs> so anything he says to any of these people, uh, you know, he goes to Fred and, uh, and Wesley. Uh, Fred was like the scientist type. And then Wesley was Buffy's uh, watcher after Giles. And mm. he was also a face watcher. And uh, the two of them are standing there like wallflowers. And Lauren's like, come on, mingle, you know, get drunk, have fun. You know? <laughs> and so suddenly, even though they didn't drink anything, they're drunk. So, <laughs> And so at the end, his whole sleep subconscious manifests in this big hulking type demon. And, of course, they have to defeat that. But mm. uh, it was actually a pretty good episode. I hadn't watched Angel in a long time, so I think I'm going to have to go and revisit the series. Hmm. Um Another one? Well, here's three that I I didn't watch and I didn't remember. I don't know if you guys remember them. Big Bang Theory had the Middle Earth Paradigm, which I don't remember which one I, that was. I know that they had Halloween episodes where they would dress up. Well, they had like, was it Halloween? Yeah, well, yeah, because they was a uh, Halloween cause dressed up like the Justice League. Right. right. Yeah. They all At first they were all the Flash. Right. And Raj says, oh, we could stand behind each other and just look like we're running really fast. And Raj becomes Aquaman. Aquaman sucks. Yeah. That was a great costume, though. That he was the, a great he costume. He had the yellow wig and he had the he was riding the seahorse sea and all that. <laughs> um, yeah, I do remember that one. Brady Bunch had Fright Night. The Brady Bunch. And I don't remember what that was. Huh. Uh, we were talking Brady off bunch fans is like yeah before we recorded i was talking about vincent price and the tiki episode yeah. where they went to hawaii but that oh, was yeah. like a three-parter four-parter yeah i don't remember that one gosh laverne and shirley had ghost story shlemiel shlemazel 
Awesome pepper. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> married with children. Lieutenant Debbie and I watched this last night. Uh, take my wife, please. And in that one, you know, basically, you know, Al's always going, oh, just kill me. So he gets a knock on the door and he thinks it's trick-or-treaters and he ignores it. And then the knock again, he's like, all right, I'm going to show them. He walks and he opens it up and it's the Grim Reaper. So the Grim Reaper, you know, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, good costume. Slams the door, turns around, and the Grim Reaper's right in front of him. So he reaches out and his hand goes right through. It's like, oh, it's really Grim Reaper. So the Grim Reaper, you know, takes off its hood. And it's Peggy underneath. Oh, wow. And, you know, the Grim Reaper's like, I, I can appear as anything, you know. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this is your worst nightmare, you know. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, Marcy Darcy next door is having a party for this group of, like, women that were convicted of killing their husbands. <laughs> well, how she got involved in the group, I don't know. But she was going to have the village people play there oh, at the geez. party, and they didn't show up. So she comes over, and, convi- and she's got... Uh, you know, her husband dressed up as one of the village people. And then she convinces Peg and uh, Bud and uh, Kelly into being the other village people. And so they're all over there doing that. And the Grim, you know, begs, uh, Al's at home with the Grim Reaper, begging not to be killed. So the Grim Reaper says, well, I'll make you a deal. If anyone in your family says they need you between now and midnight, I'll let you go. Uh-huh. And so, uh, you know, the whole thing, they're watching... The party next door on the TV just to see if any of them would actually, you know, yeah. say that they need Al. Um, but no, it was it was a pretty funny episode. Well, did they need good. him? You can't leave me hanging. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like the real village people show up, ah. and the fake village people. Marcy only had a single of YMCA, so mm. the whole time they were just doing YMCA over and over, <laughs> and the the wives who had originally killed their husbands uh-huh. were pissed and. Uh, so the, the real village people show up, uh-huh. and they're like, hey, and they're like, oh, cool. And they run up there, and they start doing YMCA, and they <laughs> riot. So, you know, Peg and Marcy and the kids are in the kitchen, and, you know, they're kind of peeking out and watching the village people getting pillaged, basically. <laughs> and then one of them comes in, and they've been TP'd. They're like, oh, I got TP'd, and he runs out, and Kelly picks up a piece of toilet paper, and she's like, Oh, this is this is the nice stuff. It's like two ply, and then Bud's like, "No, it's not. That's single ply." She goes, "God, where's Dad when you need him?" Oh, he's the toilet paper expert. Yeah, and yeah. then suddenly, boom, he's okay. He's again. okay, and he, he made it out. So. Interesting, Marcy Darcy. I want to say her first starring, not starring role, but movie. She's in Fright Night. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, it was funny because I was at the San Jose Toy Show one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were waiting for Don Wells to show up, Marianne from Gilligan's Island. Oh, mm-hmm. I got to meet Don Wells. And she was, I don't know, out going to the bathroom, powdering her nose, taking mm-hmm. a break, whatever. And so this person who was in the table next to her comes over and starts talking to us. And she was really funny and everything. And I looked down, and it was Amanda Bierce who played oh, Marcy wow. Marcy. And uh, no, she was really cool. Yeah. So uh, oh. uh, otherwise, you know, it's funny because. Pluto TV just added an Adams Family channel. Mm. So you can sit there and watch Adams Family all day long. I love the Adams so Family. So I was at work and I'm like, I'm like, well, maybe I'll put Adams Family on my iPad in the background. Mm. First thing that pops up was uh, Halloween Adams style. <laughs> and uh, they also had Halloween with the Adams Family. Yep. But uh, those two, one of them was. Uh, one of the neighbors tells Wednesday and Pugsley that there's no such things as witches. Mm-hmm. And they're all upset. 
And so Morticia and Gomez basically say, okay, we've got to find a witch for the kids. You know? And it's like, I always thought Grandmama was a witch. Yeah, I thought so too. But she's mm-hmm. in there trying to find a witch too. You know, hmm. It's like, all right, whatever. So, uh, yeah, they have the seance. And yeah. Lurch plays like Aunt Singe, and you know she's in like another room, and they're like, you know, answer us, Aunt Singe, and he's like, oh, this is Aunt Singe. Yeah, you know, like, but uh, yeah, that was that was a good one. And then the other one was uh, they're getting this whole big, all the all the things together for Halloween, and they get ready to celebrate, and these two robbers, you know, the, the cops see them, and they like jump into the Adams family house to hide, and so but they have bags, so. Of course, Morticia thinks they're trick-or-treaters. Mm. And so they invite them in to do stuff. And, you know, the, of course, they have to do all these crazy Adams Family things, and they end up running out. But one of the otter, one of the robbers was played by, does anybody know? Don Rickles. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So, can't beat that. Yeah. Don Rickles. They also had a Halloween with the Adams Family TV movie in 1977. But I think I watched it when it was first on and never again. Yeah, I saw. I a matter of fact, I have it on on videotape. Uh, videotape? Yes. Tape? There was a. Cassette. Do you still have something that plays videotape? Uh, in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, I, I watched it, and it was so slow paced. It it just didn't have the. What do the French say? Je ne sais quoi. Uh, <laughs> that's the, not the same. <laughs> yeah, that the original. I mean, it was good to see Morticia and Gomez and and uh, all the. Uh, actors and stuff, but yeah. So, uh, Drew Carey show had a couple, The Devil You Say, and it's Halloween Dummy. And uh, even though I watched Drew Carey quite a bit on the the Laugh Channel or whatever, mm-hmm. I, or Laugh TV, I don't remember those, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Malcolm in the Middle had a couple, Halloween approximately, and and just Halloween. And I'm trying to remember those, but uh, Gilligan's Island had Ghost of Go Go, which actually. Is relevant today, I think, because they have this ghost trying to scare them off the island, and the ghost turns out to be a Russian agent <laughs> that wants to take the island over for oil production. Oh, jeez! So, <laughs> Gilligan's Island, relevant today. <laughs> and of course, they all dress up like ghosts to scare him off. And, yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Howell has her fancy hat on and everything. Um, let's see, what else did we get? The Munsters, one of their oh. first episodes was Munster Masquerade, where mm-hmm. uh, they go to Marilyn's boyfriend's house, his family's house, for a masquerade party. And <laughs> Herman's wearing the uh, knight outfit, knight armor, and he like opens up the mask, and mm-hmm. his regular face is underneath, and they all think he has a costume under the costume, <laughs> and he wins the masquerade contest. And Marilyn's the only one that realizes that they're making fun of him or whatever, and yeah. gets all mad. Um there's a couple monkeys episodes. There's monkeys in a ghost town, and uh, that one was they're stranded in a ghost town after their car runs out of gas, and they're held prisoner by the big man, hmm. who is actually played by Rosemary. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a couple of uh, a couple of robbers. They're her boys. Hmm. The other one is monstrous monkey mash, where. Uh, Davy's girlfriend takes him to a haunted house and uh, there's Count Batula and a wolf man, a mummy man, and a Frankenstein-looking monster. And uh, I guess the main thing about that is his girlfriend is played by Arlene Martell. Oh. So T. Pring from Amok Time. Star Trek, right. So, yeah. You guys want to take... Did, you guys did, did take... she... 
Did she go from Spock to Davy or Davy to Spock? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. That was Spock to Davy. Dang, I don't have a, I don't have a year for that. But. Yeah, the monkeys huh. came after yeah. Star Trek. Well, they're about this. Monkeys were like sixty-seven, I think. Was so it sixty-seven? Yeah. So it was probably about the same time. Hmm. So yeah, she looks pretty similar, except for the ears. <laughs> you guys want to take a stab at what songs were in those monkeys episodes? Three songs between the two episodes. Hmm. Well, I wow, know just three. Yeah. They did two in the uh, Monkeys in a Ghost Town, and they did one in Monstrous Monkey Mash. Wow. Huh. I, I, I couldn't even. Monkeys in a Ghost Town was Tomorrow's Gonna Be Another Day mm. and Papa Jean's Blues. And Monstrous Monkey Mash was going down. Well, those are Halloween-y kind of songs, <laughs> so... I, <laughs> well, sure. I would think like your Auntie sure. Griselda or something. More. Um, now, I'm not even going to go down the Supernatural road, but Supernatural's mm. had a lot. I think like 10 or 12 Halloween episodes. I was going to say, by its yeah. very nature, isn't it a... Yeah. Yeah, they do monster, quite a, quite a spiritual... Few. Yeah. Um, the other one that we watched actually this morning getting ready for this episode was uh, Highway to Heaven. <laughs> and with Michael, with Michael, Michael Landon. Landon. And their Halloween episode was I Was a Middle-Aged Werewolf. <gasps> and Michael Landon wrote and directed the episode celebrating the 30th anniversary of his first film, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Wow. And uh, it's, it's pretty funny. I mean, basically... I, I think that's the only episode I've ever watched of Highway to Heaven. <laughs> so I don't know like the characters' names and things, but you know, it's basically Michael Land is an angel, and then he's got this guy that kind of drives him around and helps him out and whatever. And so you know, it's Halloween, and they want to take a break or whatever, and so they were talking about the previous, I guess they had a Halloween episode the year before, where they fought the devil. Mm. And... Uh, you know, the, the human guy's like, oh, you know, I, was, uh, I still get the creeps, you know. So he goes, well, let's just, let's just get a sandwich or something and go home and watch movies, watch some creepy movies. So Michael Landon so okay, okay. So he pulls up in front of, like, Satan's sandwiches. And Michael Landon's like, are you really going to go in there? He says, yeah, I'm going in there. So he goes in, and it's all smoky and foggy and stuff. And he gets the Devil's Delight, which is this huge, <laughs> like, you know, submarine sandwich. And uh, he takes it back out, and of course the guy at the counter turns around. And he's the devil from the episode, the episode last year, and uh, last year being like 1986, I think. Mm. <laughs> so uh, they go back to the house, and you know Michael Landon's like, "Well, I'm going to go out for a walk," and the other guy's like, "Watching, I was a teenage werewolf on TV," and he's like, "Yeah, this guy looks like you, not when he's got the hairy <laughs> face, but when he's you know. <laughs> and he's like, "No, nah, I was never that young." So he goes out for a walk. And uh, the other guy's like eating this big Devil's Delight sandwich. And so he keeps falling asleep and dreaming of basically Michael Landon being the werewolf. <laughs> and so, you know, he's like, they reprise the makeup. So, you know, it doesn't look exact, but, you know, he, they make him a werewolf. And so during the episode, while Michael Landon's out doing things on Halloween, walking this kid around, trick or treating, and that, um, this guy's having all these dreams of Michael Landon being a werewolf. Mm. And, uh, I thought one of the, the interesting things is one of the guys that worked on the on the makeup on that was uh, Michael Westmore. Oh. Who was on Face Off huh. and did a lot of uh, Star Trek makeup in that. Yes. So uh, 
So that was pretty cool. That is cool. I'm going to have to check uh, that out. Another one that I decided to watch was on Halloween night, which was like episode eight of Ultraman Tiga. And it was an actual Ultraman Halloween episode. Hmm. And it had a witch and a giant pumpkin and everything else. It was pretty good. She was like taking all these kids. She'd be handing out these free lollipops and the kids would eat them and they'd be under a spell and she'd take them into this other dimension and steal their dreams. And so, of course, uh, of course, at the end, she becomes a monster and Daigo has to become Tiga and mm. defeat her. And then uh, I was thinking of Commander Larry. And uh, we watched Trick or Treat, which was a Halloween episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) In which Kimberly and Skull go on a game show called Trick or Treat. And uh, in the meantime, Rita Repulsa is trying to to grow the pumpkin wrapper. And... uh, is, is you know hilarious results ensue. Hilarity but. ensues. I'll <laughs> have to not check that out. Everything with the pump, the Power Rangers getting pumpkins stuck on their heads to uh, <laughs> pu- fighting putties with pumpkins, and <coughs> then of course you know the witch at the end. They have to defeat the pumpkin rapper who who raps. I was kind of disappointed that Brian Cranston didn't do, do the voice of the pumpkin rapper. <laughs> <laughs> because he did voices for a number of Power Rangers villains. He did? In the ah. early days. In fact, in the Power Rangers reboot movie, he plays Zordon. There was a reboot movie. Yeah, yeah wow. recently. You reboot slay of, me, of the original you slay ones. me. And uh, yeah, Brian Cranston was in there as Zordon. <laughs> so, so there you go. That was just for Commander Larry. Thank you very much. And uh, what do we got? We got some more time or should we... Well, I think on that note, Chief, (laughs) (laughs) on that high note, um, let's go ahead and uh, cover uh, this episode, Sensor Sweep. You have something for us, Chief? I do. I've got something special, actually. Uh, Recently, I had uh, lunch with a guy from Bandai, and they came out with a Godzilla card game, brand new Mm. Godzilla card game, which... uh, just beautiful, just the cover. You could just like take this thing and stick it on your shelf if you don't play cards. It now, these are Bandai's the guys that come out with the Godzilla figures and all yeah, the different... Yeah. Uh, Bandai. Bandai's one of the largest toy companies in Japan. In fact, they are a 51% shareholder in Tsuburaya Productions that makes Ultraman. Wow. It's basically Bandai, 51%, and 49% is like a pachinko company. Huh. Which... Uh, Pachinko companies in Japan, it's mostly like Yakuza guys, but <laughs> they pretty much... We won't talk just, about that. They just yeah, want the money, you know, they let Bandai kind of handle the actual Tsuburaya part of things. But anyway, this card game, beautiful card game, and I recently had a chance to interview the uh, designer of the game. Oh. And uh, this was actually, I, I had asked him, hey, did you, have you done any you know, Godzilla-related interviews? And he's right. like, well, I've done interviews about the game for like gaming podcasts and things but this is my first one that concentrates on Godzilla so uh, so here it is and we have it take it away so let it roll and uh, with us today is Ryan Miller welcome to Planet 8 thanks for having me and uh, Ryan basically is the mastermind behind a new Godzilla card game which uh, comes from Chrono Clash and is uh, being distributed by Bandai uh, in the United States. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe how you started with Chrono Clash, because I assume you've done more before Godzilla. 
Oh yeah, so ChronoClash is actually the name of the system that we're using, uh, and that's something I came up with when I was working with Bondi, uh, and they wanted to do a card game uh, using uh, Naruto, and they uh, I had already worked with them on some other projects, and they were like, hey, we really want to do this kind of exciting back and forth card game experience. Uh, you know, what do you got? And I kind of pitched this idea to them, and they really ended up loving it uh i'm really grateful that you know they really really put a lot into it uh it, the naruto game came out first uh and then uh godzilla uh of course just came out uh, so the cool thing is you can fight you know uh kaiju versus ninjas if you want to and uh we're actually doing a couple other properties i've already we just announced uh evangelion uh, and, uh, yeah, there's some more in the pipeline that I can't even talk about yet. So, <laughs> so if you, yeah. uh, accidentally dropped your decks on the floor and mixed them up, you could, uh, basically, <laughs> be pretty weird. basically pretty weird have world. anybody fight anybody. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But basically it's, it's uh, to me, so the, the, the kind of the heart of the system is kind of how cards are costed. And so those of you listening that, uh, have played trading card games, uh, you know that they generally have a cost to them. I know Yu-Gi-Oh! doesn't, but most card games do. There's some cost to playing the card, like Magic has mana, that sort of thing. Uh, in this game, it's called time. Like, time is the resource. And uh, you use this track called the Chrono Gauge. And basically, it starts at 10, goes to 0, and then goes to up to 10 on your opponent's side. Whenever you play a card, you pay its cost by moving a counter towards your opponent that many spaces. When it gets your opponents one or higher, the turn your turn ends, and it's their turn now. What I really like about this system is that you can, if you want to, play your nine-cost uh, battler on turn one. I mean, you you can. Uh, it may not be the right call because you're giving your opponent a lot of time on their first turn out uh, with kind of low repercussions. So it was it's a pretty exciting system for me because I've been working in trading card games for 20 years now. I used to work at Wizards of the Coast for a long time, and and worked on some other games. And I've always wanted to do a game where you can do anything you want. You just might regret it. <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but I just love that idea of it's an old army phrase, actually. The, you know, the army can the army can't make you do anything. They can just make you wish that you had. And I really like uh, you know, with, with regular mana systems, you're kind of forced to wait, right? You're either either that or you mm -hmm. build a deck that kind of ramps up really quickly. Uh, and in this game, it's like, do whatever you want, you know, just you, it's just a risk, which adds that excitement to it. That's great. So looking at the game here, um, you seem to have like all the monsters in there, at least up through <laughs> final wars. I don't think you guys went to like Shin Godzilla or, uh, or legendary no, stuff, no, they, but, uh, yeah, they handed me quite a list of, of monsters, uh, to include in the game. And, uh, it was like I've known about Godzilla, I've I've watched a, a ton of, of movies, but I had to do a decent amount of research into each individual character so that I could at least try to kind of reflect their abilities and reflect their kind of uh, presence in the game itself. Uh, and it was pretty interesting uh, dive into the world, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess the advantage of working with Bandai is they already have the rights to a lot of these monsters, so. It's not yeah, like yeah. Uh, not really like other games where they can only get one or two. Or I was three. especially pleased to see like the 1950s and 60s uh, stuff in there as well. I think that's a really great kind of callback to the heritage or the origins of of this wonderful franchise. And and uh, you know, I, I was just excited. I, I didn't know when they handed me the job. I didn't know like, well, what does that mean, Godzilla? Of course, it could mean many things, right? 
Uh, and it was really cool to see that they wanted to kind of cover so many decades uh, of that of that property. Right. It was, it was pretty cool. No, I mean, I was looking through the cards and yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, all eras of Godzilla are basically covered. So what's your favorite so far that you've seen? Oh, for me, well, I love the Showa stuff, all the sixties and seventies stuff. That's what yeah, I, that's right. what I grew up with, and uh, yeah, yeah, the art is amazing. Who, who actually uh, is responsible for the art on this? That's all Bondi. Um, oh, really? Basically, my responsibilities are to kind of I design what the cards do, uh, and then I play test the hell out of them with a ton of play testers uh, and kind of refine them and change them, and then. Uh, when my deadline hits, it's I, I ship them a, a really big Excel file with all the information on what's supposed to go on each card. And uh, then they take it from there. They do all the graphic design. They do all the art direction. Uh, yeah, it's uh, they, it, they're they an impressive – I mean, they've really taken a challenging game to make. Like, it's, it's not easy to make this kind of game that's based on icons rather than words, right? Uh, oh, and yeah. It's pretty challenging, and I think they've done a great job. And yeah, I know Bandai's been uh, working with or on Godzilla for decades. So yeah, yeah, and so it's definitely something that they love over there. And and uh, you know, my team that I work with at Bandai, they're all just super dedicated to Chrono Clash and and making sure that each version of it is as good as it can be. And I couldn't ask for better partners. I mean, they've been they've been awesome. A bit they've taken they brought me to Tokyo a few times, and uh, that was amazing. Like I I had. First gone to Tokyo when I was, I used to be the lead designer for Duel Masters, which is a Wizards of the Coast card game that they do in Japan. So I went there for Duel Masters. And then when I started working Bandai, I came back a few more times. And just every time I go to Japan, I just, it, I fall more in love with Tokyo. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just an amazing city. Well, were you like a gamer growing up or how did you actually get into all this? Actually, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, well, I was about 11 years old. And a friend of mine at school told me about Dungeons and Dragons. So 11, so this would be about 1984. And uh, I get all excited. He tells me about this game. He kind of gives me the gist of like what, you know, what the game's about. Doesn't really teach me it, but it kind of gives me the gist. And I, you know, that day I'm home from school. My mom gets home from work and I'm so excited. And I tell her, I'm like, mom, I want to, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. And she goes, well, you can't play that. It's satanic. And I was so <laughs> disappointed but then I was like, well, I could probably make up games. And I just started making them up. And uh, so, yeah, from age 11, I've pretty much been always designing games. I mean, I, you know, I, it's, it's something that I kind of felt I never thought I would make a living doing. Right. It was one of those like, yeah. I know I'll always make games, but I just don't I didn't expect to do that. And when I, I got out of the army in ninety uh, eight and I just thought, you know, I'm going to move to Seattle and just see if I can get a job at Wizards of the Coast. And see if I can do it. And that way, when I'm an old man, I can be like, well, at least I tried. I did my best. Uh, but it ended up working out. Uh, I got basically the lowest job you could get. It was a magic tournament judge at this uh, game center that Wizards used to run out here. And so for like six bucks an hour, I would <laughs> judge magic tournaments. Uh, and that, But that was the start. I mean, I basically from there just kind of tried to network my way on up and eventually worked at R&D for nearly a decade. So, yeah, well, I mean, there, there can be worse ways of making a living. Yeah, not, I, mean, I can't complain. I yeah. cannot complain nowadays. So now I do freelance work. So now that's mm -hmm. like Bondi and I work with other publishers uh, to make board games and card games or I'll consult with companies that are thinking about like doing a trading card game and things like that uh, and kind of work with them on, on what they want to do. 
so yeah, it's uh, cards are kind of my life. And so when nice. <laughs> Bondi was like, we want to make this card game. We want to make it with a bunch of properties like Naruto and Godzilla and even Galleon. And I was like, yes, <laughs> sign me up. Uh, Put me in, coach. <laughs> so did uh, so did Bandai or Toho have any input or did they just pretty much leave you alone to do whatever you they, wanted to do? So they gave me the, the characters, right? So they'll right. send me like, a, right. they'll send me... Um, a Excel spreadsheet, right? Lots of spreadsheet talk. This is game design, gang. <laughs> um, and it will have the characters in it. They'll have some notes on each character just to help me out um, to, you know, uh, get an, a feel for what the character does. And then what I do, my job is to not only try to make each character's abilities kind of show in the game, but also to make sure that over the set that there's a, a nice mix of abilities so that players when they build their decks can have lots of options and and find strategies and find combos and things like that so not every card is strictly about its character uh sometimes they are serving like a larger like set goal um you know for the overall set mm-hmm. but my but my goal is that each each card and that, i definitely did that uh, a lot of work on that with with godzilla to kind of and you gotta take some artistic license of course in a, in a card game but uh, I did my best to kind of, you know, uh, help the uh, the character kind of show up, show through in what the card does. Uh, and then, of course, they take it and make these awesome, beautiful cards out of them. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, once you give them all your notes and everything, I assume they send you back uh, like, you know, proofs or. Yeah. Or, so, so you actually, get an idea it what it's going to look like. Uh, Gen Con uh, last August. Uh, and I don't know if you're if you know about Gen Con, but it's the it's like the biggest tabletop uh, gaming convention in North America every year. It's uh, in Indianapolis, and it usually draws around seventy thousand people. Oh, okay. And uh, we had some events out there for Chrono Clash, mostly for Naruto. And uh, this is well before uh, Godzilla even came out. And so when I got there, they said, "Hey, we've got a bunch of proofs." And so I actually made Godzilla decks so that when I played against the Naruto players, they would freak out because they're seeing these cards that they've never seen before. And it was awesome, man. Were... Well, let me just slap down Godzilla on this one. Yeah, it was pretty great, actually. It was it was pretty fun to kind of get them, you know, they got all excited and they were like checking out the new abilities and, and, and you know, playing uh, my game against people who love playing it is about as good as it gets for me, right? I mean, it's just really oh, fun yeah. to to see people enjoying what I've done and, and kind of enjoying the work that I put into it. And then also me getting to play with them. Like one of the things I do is I bring, I have these custom play mats that I make and they everybody who plays me has to sign my play mat. And so like on my, the wall of my office right now, I've got a few tacked up that are just covered in signatures and little pictures and all sorts of stuff. And it's just kind of, it's just a fun way to, for me to kind of hang out with the players and, and play them. And so if you guys ever see me and I'm, I'm at, at an event and we're playing cards, please come by and, and, and we'll throw down and you'll probably beat me, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta sign my mat. If you play me, you sign my mat. That's the rule. Well, that was my next question. Are you the master of your game or do people come up and just kind of catch oh, on no, really quick no, and give you a challenge? I'm, I, you know, I, so it's interesting. So a lot of game designers, there's different types of game designers and I tend to be more of an immersive or story-based or theme-based game designer. Then there's like other game designers that are more about strategy and things like that. I mean, we have to, we all have to do all of those things. It's just what we're better at. Right. And so like when I worked at wizards, you know, I, I was amongst a lot of, of strategic game designers and those types of game designers tend to be great at their games because they, they get these efficient strategies and they know them so well. Uh, but 
thematic designers like myself tend to be distracted by all the different options and you could do all these cool things and can't you see like and if you're playing against a player who just wants to win you can oftentimes find yourself kind of <laughs> but also with card yeah. games you know with any kind of trading card game or, or, you know, expandable card game in any sense, you're going to, there's enough variance in the gameplay where, you know, even if you're playing against a master, you're going to, you know, you have that hope you can, you can kind of squeak through or you can, you can beat him that sort of thing. And so there's a, there's that. I, I do fairly well. Like I, I tend to win more than I lose, but I'm, I'm by no means a, what I consider myself a master at it. Uh, I just make the game. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. I mean, do you design things into your game that uh, maybe only you know about so you can pull out a trick here and there? Well, the thing about especially expandable card games or customizable card games like this is that you're going to play to like as a designer, I, you know, I play, I have a small group of play testers. We play test and I have one lead developer, this guy named Steve, Steve, that is just this amazing, uh, developer guy. And, uh, so we find a lot of the problems or we find a lot of this, you know, but the players, once the game is out, the players are going to play way more games in a shorter amount of time than you're ever going to play. And so, one of the things I love about these types of games is that they surprise even the designers. Like we'll see interactions that we didn't expect. And most of the time that's fine. And every once in a while it's too powerful and we have to kind of take measures. But for the most part, it's just, it's an exciting type of game to, to launch because of that, right. That, that sense of discovery and that the pl players, once they get their hands on it, man, they'll, they'll, they're more than likely going to see stuff that even with all your play testing, you just didn't, you just didn't see. Right. So it's, it's pretty exciting. That's great. So in working on this, were there any particular characters that jumped out as your favorites or? I mean, I've always been kind of partial to Mechagodzilla. I think that's because growing up, I was a big Robotech fan. Uh -huh. And so I really dig Mecha and I love the idea of massive robots and that sort of thing. And so, so Mechagodzilla was, was the one that, and I, if you see on his card, uh, he, he has some pretty, <laughs> there's like uh and then like any of the mecha ones there's a uh there's a few of them in the set uh mecha king Ghidorah is just this awesome card uh one of the biggest creatures in the game is super mecha godzilla uh and it's just this huge creature that can win you the game fairly quickly if your opponent can't deal with it uh right. it's he's pretty cool <laughs> so i didn't uh let me look on the back here so i didn't look to see all the mecha i assume jet jaguars in there i assume uh Mogura, I guess, is in there. Let's see. And uh, what other mecha yeah. we got? Probably not Mechanicong. Oh, yeah. Jet Jaguar. The 1973 Jet Jaguar is in there, which is pretty cool. Cool. That was yeah. the year I was born. So that. Ah, <laughs> all right. I'm the same age as Jet Jaguar. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know. I guess I know Toho's tends to always shy away from Kong. So I guess there's no like Mechanicong in there or. No, no, no. We didn't put any of that stuff in there. But no. Nope. Aside from I that, mean, I mean, it looks know. just looking at the uh, at the back of the box. I mean, it looks like you got just about all of them covered. Yeah, they really sent me. I mean, I was really pleased. I was kind of like when they first told me the that they wanted me to do the game. I was a little worried because you know this is a property that is kind of all about one of the you know there's this huge main character basically right there's this Godzilla guy, and I'm like you know I I. I, I obviously can make lots of different Godzillas. And I did in this set, there's lots of different ones. Uh, but I really wanted a set that, uh, kind of, you know, sh it, it highlighted just, the the vast, like diversity of characters, diversity of monsters in this game. And, uh, I was not disappointed. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> Pretty outstanding. There's 96 cards in that set. 
uh, and there are a lot of different characters. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun. That's great. Yeah, I've been into Godzilla since I was a kid, and I'm an old man now. So uh, <laughs> many many years, but I know Godzilla has quite a fandom, and some are pretty serious about it. Have you gotten any feedback or any uh, comments on the game yet? Uh, I, w- I haven't gotten it. Like, I, I think I see what you're getting at. Like, you, some people can be a bit defensive about their favorite properties, and like, if they don't, uh, that's a nice way to put it. Well. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think that uh, I haven't yet. I mean, I imagine that is, I mean, you're just going to get that. I mean, I think that any beloved property, uh, you're just going to get that. And to me, that's just great because it's it's basically just people are passionate and they love it, right? And oh, yeah. and hopefully, you know, my offering or my addition to the, to the property is, is mostly good for them. And, you know, uh, and one of the nice things about card games is they do have this wonderful level of abstraction, right? Uh, I can't put, especially this game, because it uses icons instead of words, I can't put, you know, block of text on these things to kind of, you know, and so that, that, that means that it's going to be hard for somebody to go, well, wait a minute, you know, (laughs) why does, you know, why does uh, Super X3 have sneak attack? Like, you know, or why, right. you know, uh, it's going to be hard for them to do that. Well, that one's pretty obvious, actually. Why oh, yeah. sneak attack? <laughs> I just mean, like, why does it, you know, so so it's, it, it adds that nice level of abstraction, and it can kind of let the player kind of connect the dots rather than me trying to force feed, like, no, here's what he does, and this is what it represents, and, and that sort of thing. And so I think those, the, the, I think that factor uh, will help in that regard, I think. Uh, most of the feedback I've gotten so far has been people just loving it. They're just having a good time with it and excited for it. And, you know, we, uh, every, uh, box that comes with those massive oversized cards, which are actually used in the game. Um, and that's just, I mean, oversized cards, we had them in Naruto, but they, they're like tailor made for Godzilla, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> and these huge cards, <laughs> they just, it feels so good to, to just slam those things down on the table and, and attack with them. It's pretty awesome. Shake the table with a Godzilla card. Yeah, exactly right. Or I always like to say, like when I when I put one down, you can feel the wind waft across. Right? Your opponent just feels like a whoosh, right? You're like yeah, your opponent's hair blowing back, and yeah, exactly. Uh, that's great. So, if this game takes off, does great. Um, let's say Bandai wants to do another. Are there more Godzilla card stories to tell, or? Can you imagine uh, you know, I, a, a sequel to this? I have plenty of confidence that we could do that. They, we already have a sequel for Naruto coming out uh, next month, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, I mean, that to me, you know, it's, I, I can't really tell what they're going to do. It's really not up to me what their future plans are. But right. I would say that the Naruto expansion coming out is, is a good indicator that if Godzilla does well, then, yeah, there'll be more cards for Godzilla. Uh, and I think that. Uh, absolutely. I can, uh, like one of the things I thought I wanted to add in this set, but couldn't quite fit in, uh, because of the characters they sent me was I wanted cities. Like I wanted the cities to be a part of the game. Uh, but we just didn't have room. We wanted all these great characters. We wanted this other stuff. And then cities kind of would bring their own mechanical complexity to the game. Cause I'd have to have rules for like, well, what does that mean? What are these cards? That sort of thing. But I think for an expansion, I think something like that would be amazing. If you could have, you know, like I take over Tokyo and you're like, I'm going to I'm going to stay over here at Godzilla Island. I mean, things like that that I think yeah. would add a lot of fun flavor. Send to them it. So, off to Planet I, X. You could expand exactly. all the way through the universe. <laughs> exactly. So. So, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of more space uh, to design cards for this game. And I think that uh, so. So but really, it's it's hard for me to say, like, what 
you know what their plans are, are going to be. Obviously, the obvious answer is that yeah, if this if this set sells great, then yeah, we'll you know there'll be plenty more support for it, just like Naruto, right? Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I hope so. I'd like to work on more yeah. Godzilla cards, that's for sure. Well, I guess the advantage of working with Bandai is you're not really stuck with just like a Toho property. I mean, you could do yeah Ultraman yeah, they, or Gamera or whatever. Um, they yeah, they they, are, they have a lot of. Uh, I mean, one. Of, I mean, it's, it's a huge part of their business is in, in intellectual property, right? And so they oh, yeah. they know it inside and out. They know you know what they can and can't do that sort of thing. And and so yeah, it's it's an exciting game to work on. You know, to have that yeah. have that kind of, those kind of possibilities. I think it's pretty cool. Well, I know Bandai is like a majority owner of uh, Subaraya Productions, so mm-hmm. I'm surprised they haven't uh, talked about an Ultraman game yet. I know they're doing yeah. a big push of Ultraman over here now. So I just don't, you know, I, I think Ultraman is obviously like 99.9% aware in Japan. I don't think it goes that way here in America, right? I think that, well, uh, you know, there's obviously lots of fans for Ultraman in America. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, I know Mill, I think, Mill Creek is, they bought like every Ultraman series and every movie and whatever, and they're starting to pump them out on Blu ray like this month. So. Oh, sweet. I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah. Awesome. So it'll, the awareness will be there. They're, yeah, they're no, doing a, a huge no, push. That. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting. Yeah, to no, see I didn't know that. It wouldn't game. surprise me. I mean, they definitely, uh, uh, have a lot of properties that they've kind of, uh, we actually had some polls, you know, we were asking players like what properties did you, would you want to see in the future and that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, man, if that, I think Ultraman would be amazing. Like, I mean, think of all the, all the characters and monsters and I mean, there's yeah. thousands literally. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be, I think it'd be really cool. Especially if you could kind of have them battling Godzilla characters and you know, yeah, <laughs> hey. fun, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that's amazing. And, and like I say, I have the box, uh, the game sitting in front of me and you know, even if people aren't particularly, you know, fans of card games, I mean, just, the box itself is worth putting up on a shelf. The cards. Well, the yeah, nice thing well, too is really so cool. a lot of people might be off put by like a collectible card game where you have to buy a bunch of packs and you have to chase certain cards. And this game, the entire game, you get a complete playset of the whole game by just buying the box. So you never have to buy anything else. Uh, once you buy that box, you can make all the decks you want. You can play the decks that are in the box. If you want, if you don't feel like making decks, you can just shuffle up and play right out of the box. So really it's, you know, it's, it's a fun way to kind of get, your favorite characters battling each other uh, in a way that, uh, you know, you're not going to have to buy a bunch of packs and, and, and hunt down the ultra rares and that sort of thing. They are doing this kind of neat thing where uh, they did every card they did in a foil version and, and they're called tournament packs uh, and they put a few tournament packs in each uh, box. And so you're not, they're not exclusive cards. They're just foil versions of cards that are in that box already. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of neat because that's given a little. So some people who enjoy collecting will collect those or trade them. Right. And or people who want like a ton of foils in their in their deck, they can do that. Uh, and I think that that was kind of a neat idea of kind of still having some of that like treasure hunting aspect. But it's totally opt in. Right. You don't have to you don't have to do that if you don't want to. And I think that's a really cool uh, that they did that. I was uh, pleasantly surprised at uh, how the players really took to that. Uh, and there's like, uh, there's a Chrono Clash, uh, Facebook page and there's a lot of them that, you know, they'll be trading their foils. They'll be looking for this foil or for that foil. It was pretty fun. No, definitely. Um, so what would be the best places for uh, people to look for the game? 
uh, websites or I mean I always tell people like support your local game store I, that's what I do uh, game stores are awesome because they you know most game stores uh, you know have space to play games in they run tournaments they run events uh, Bondi is running events for this game as well uh, so check out your game store and support your game stores uh, because they're the ones that br- are bringing people in so you can find other people to play against and that sort of thing and so that that's that's where I go if I you know if I'm buying games uh, there's a you know there's a place called game on here in in South Hill Washington that I go to and buy games from and and talk to the folks about what you know what's looking good or what's exciting you know right now for retailers and that sort of thing so I would say find your local game store and and if they don't have it, ask them about it. And then if you know if they're not going to get it, then you you know I would look online. But uh, but support that game store because they do great work. Oh, definitely. And you know we just missed last month. Well, actually in August, we did a uh, Godzilla Fest in San Francisco. So we just missed that. We could have had a tournament right oh, there. No. <laughs> we had a whole weekend of like uh, twelve different, thirteen different Godzilla films and. Oh, Michael nice. Doherty, the director, was there, and yeah, it oh, was it was a big event. You had a couple hundred people at least, yeah, you know, at any one time. Oh, um, that's amazing. You know, the lobby space is a little limited, but you know, <laughs> and vendors sure. keep wanting to dive in, so we'll we'll see. We we do it every August, so maybe we can work yeah, something out be, next uh, year. In December, I'll be at the Chara Expo, which is in L.A., uh, mm-hmm. and it's like an anime, big anime thing, uh, and. So I try, I like, I try, I don't get to go to all the shows, but I try to go as many as I can just to meet with the players and, you know, help run the events and that sort of thing. So, but yeah, it looks like we missed out on that one pretty good. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We're talking to the theater about doing a Toho Mecca show in probably March where we show a bunch of things like Atragon and Balan Outer Space and the Mysterians and then. You know, being Mecca, we'll throw in, you know, Mecca Godzilla and King Kong Escapes and whatever. So I don't know, maybe we can kick it off with a Friday night tournament or something. Nah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> we'll see. We'll talk we'll talk to Bandai and see if we can work you never out. Never know, never know. Yeah, they're always, you know, excited to support that kind of stuff. So you, you never know what they'll be able to do. Mitsuha's been great. She's she's been great to work with on that right. kind of stuff. No, that's been yeah. great. So um yeah, thanks for being on the show. And uh Yeah, dude, thanks for having know, me. We'll we'll post all the links to uh all the information, and we're going to be doing an article on the game for uh, Sci-Fi Japan, so we'll uh, awesome. link, link to that as well, and then link back to this, so uh, people well, will, will have no excuse not to game. know about this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me know. I'd like to post about it, too, to my page and, and let people know. And But yeah, dude, thanks for taking your time out and help helping support my game. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, it's great to see games like this come out You know, as, as an old-time Godzilla fan. And just to see new product come out all the time. I mean, that's the whole thing about, you know, whether it's Godzilla or James Bond or whatever, um, just bringing in the new generations of fans each time. That's what's going to keep it alive, you know? Yeah, people picking it up. And, and, uh, you know, the nice thing about Godzilla is most everyone's heard of it. So, you know, when the younger generation kind of sees the product on the shelf, they're like, Oh, you know, maybe it's bigger than I thought it was like, maybe I should check this out, you know? And it's got a, yeah, it definitely has that aspect to it, which is very exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good time too. Cause uh, Criterion's releasing a big box set at the end of the month and uh, I know, yeah, Turner classic right, movies right. and Comet TV and all these places have been doing like marathons of the movies and things. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time to be a Godzilla fan. It's an exciting time. So it should, hopefully all that'll be good for the game. 
Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's my hope. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Maybe we'll talk to you when we get closer to one of these shows where we can do a tournament. Great. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. I'll be happy to chat again. Thanks for having me on your show. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. That brings this episode to its conclusion. We want to take the time to wish you a happy and safe Halloween. Kick it over to the Chief. Any Halloween messages for the listeners, Chief? Well, I was going to talk about our listener party, but I think this episode comes out like two days after it. Ah. So uh, I'll say, man, we had a great (laughs) listeners party a couple days ago. It was fantastic. Just pack the place. But uh, seriously, just happy Halloween to all the listeners out there. And hopefully you had a a safe and insane night of trick-or-treating or monster movie watching or whatever you choose to do on Halloween. There you go. Kicking it up to the satellite. Karen, any messages for the uh, Halloween listeners? Yeah, I just uh, I want to encourage everybody to have a good Halloween and also hand out candy. You know, I, yeah. I think there's a kind of a move. A lot of times people are like, oh, I'm going to go somewhere on Halloween. I don't want to deal with it. And you know what? When we were kids, we had we were lucky to go around and get candy and yep. have fun running around at night. So, you know, don't look on it as a chore. Look on it as something fun where you can be that person who makes somebody's night and, right. and hand out that candy um, to those kids and make their night. So uh, carry on the tradition. Very uh, good. Don't, don't turn out your lights and hide in a back room somewhere. <laughs> right. Very, very well said, my friends. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Unmistakable surge of evil is felt as darkness falls. falls, falls. Pounding at the door, a game of ghouls screams trick or treat, and I warn them of the house at the end of our street. Don't haunt the house at the end of the street. Poison candy, they did it People say it was the house at the end of the street Don't haunt the house at the end of the street